life lessons from the book of Psalms. We see a theme that God is good even in the storms. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 52. Over the course of this series, we've looked at four different life lessons so far, and this morning we're going to add three more. We began this series looking at Psalm number 34. And it's a psalm written during a desperate time in the author's life, a man named David. And I'll explain that in a few minutes' time and give you a little bit of background. And Psalm 52 is literally in the chronological order, even though they're not in the number order. That's the next psalm in the line of what is going on in David's life. Once again, if you just take an individual verse out of context, you think, Oh, David's life is so easy when he's writing this. For instance, it says in Psalm 52, verse number 9, I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait in your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. Now, remember earlier when I had you shake hands and things? It is good in the presence of the godly. Look around and go, oh, good, it's good to be here. But life Sometimes it's really, really hard. And what we find is that life is not always easy. And our principle for today is exactly the same principle that we've had the previous two weeks. It is God is good. Full stop. And so often we have the natural inclination to go, I know God is good. And maybe you're like me, where I was born into a a Christian home. In fact, my dad is a, a pastor, so therefore I was literally in church my entire life. And maybe you're that way, where you've been going through the motions of church, and you know when to sit down, when to stand up. Most of you sit in exactly the same place all the time. Like, I know when you're here and when you're not, because you're always right there. And we go through the motions of church and we kind of go through after a while where we can say God is good and it rolls off our tongue so smooth and eloquent and we're in church so we know it's the right thing to say. But then we add a but on the end. God is good, but life is really hard. God is good, but, and you start adding all the different little buts in there, but my health, but my relationships, but my finances, but my, and if you're a parent, but my kids, or if you're a kid, but my parents. God is good, but my circumstances are really, really hard. And many of you have been sick over the last month or two, and you probably have said that we know God is good, but boy, I'm really sick right now. That's our natural response. And if you look at Psalm 52, if you have your Bible actually open, it probably has a little preface at the top. The little preface at the top is not part of the original scriptures, but it's a, it's a description and it, it gives us some context of who it was written to. And it says there in Psalm 52, To the choir master, I'm a skill of David. Now, you read that word, and we're adding to your vocabulary this morning, okay? We're going to extend your vocabulary. Now you can never say you don't know what a mosquito is. In fact, there's 13 different psalms in the Bible that were written that are known as mosquito songs. 
And these songs or psalms were written for instruction. They were very holy and reverent. Their purpose was to give wisdom and instruction. So the Maskil Psalms are very serious psalms that we can look at and go, there's something in this song that we can learn. You see, the Psalms were originally written not just as poetry and not to be recited as in just read. They were actually written to be sung in worship. And there's certain songs that we have that we can find tremendous theology in. And there's a picture on the screen of a song that came out in 2017 that has no wisdom and no instruction in it at all. And don't go singing it. I could have shown the video, but I wasn't going to do that to you. It took me long enough to get it out of my head. And you know something absolutely remarkable? This particular, uh, the, the, the Baby Shark song that this images taken from has been shown on youtube alone 12 billion times that's not even you know sometimes we say billion as an exaggeration that's not literally there's been 12 billion views of this particular those two kids have been on a lot of of screens and there's another thing with baby sharks which i'll get into more spiritual things in a moment but you can get on baby shark and they'll have 60 minute or 90 minute loops like, that's like cruel punishment. There's some things in our world that you look at and you go, some of your parents went, you went, oh, when you, uh, the image came up. And others of you smiled and started doing little things like this. <laughs> and you look at those different songs that we have in our world, and a lot of times the songs have really no wisdom. They're catchy, they, have, they become popular for a season, and then after a while, we go, oh, that's so annoying. I've heard it 12 billion times. And there's other things that we find in the Bible, like Psalm 52, that's written with a great deal of wisdom and instruction, and after literally 3,000 years, it's still applicable and still relevant in our lives today. Let me give you a little background of Psalm 34 and also of Psalm 52. It was written by the same man, a man named David. David grew up as a shepherd. He was a brave young man. We first see him as a, man, a young teenager who defeats the giant Goliath. And with that defeat came some fame, and he eventually, through that, became the son-in-law of the king. King Saul was the king at the time, and because God's favor was upon David, and the prophet Samuel had anointed David to be the next king of Israel, Saul was insanely jealous. And the underlying theme of this entire mini-series is how to remain sane in an insane world. Saul didn't just hate David. He says, I hate you, and I'm going to try to kill you. And he tried on multiple occasions, throwing spears at him and chasing him all across the nation of Israel. And at this particular time, that's exactly what's taking place. David is literally running for his life. He runs to a town called Nob, and he talks to a man named Ahimelech. And Ahimelech is the high priest of the nation. And as a result of that conversation, 
and David running away and hiding in a cave. David is given some substance, he's, uh, some food. He's given a sword of Goliath and he's hiding in a cave and around and surrounding him comes 400 men that are described in a way that says those who were bitter, those who were in distress, those who were in debt were coming to him. So basically, and trying to be kind to these men who later on become mighty warriors, a bunch of losers surround him. And a bunch of really discouraged people come. And when you're going through a really difficult time and you're running for your life and your whole world's been turned upside down, what do we find? We often find that we're surrounded by people that don't encourage us. We find that we actually, at the lowest point, we now have to encourage other people to do right, even though I feel like I'm empty. And that's exactly what takes place here. David writes Psalm 34 as a word of encouragement. And that's where we get the psalm that gives us the, oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. David's circumstances were anything but good, but he still said, I'm going to find my joy and my happiness and my fulfillment, not in myself, not in my wealth, not in my brains, or even in my people, my friends around me. I have to go straight back to God and find Him to be my strength. But oftentimes we find that things get worse before they get better. And that's where David finds himself. David's hiding in this cave with these 400 men and he had gone to the town of Nob and he talked to Ahimelech. Saul had come through that area searching for David and nobody was telling Saul anything. And Saul was having a what's commonly known as a royal pity party. He was whining and complaining and saying, nobody is telling me where David is. Why is everyone against me? And no one was telling him that David was hiding in a cave of Adullam until a man named Doeg came along. He works for Saul as his, as his chief herdsman. So he had a position of authority in, in Saul's kingdom. He came along and said, I know where David was. I don't know where he is, but I know where he was. He came to this town of Nob and he talked to Ahimelech and Ahimelech helped him. And that's what we find in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 9 and 10, where it says, And then answered Doeg the Edomite, who stood by the servant of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse, that is David, coming to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, and he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. And as a result of that, Saul is incredibly angry at Ahimelech, the priest, and he condemns him to death. And all of Saul's guys, the scripture says, refused to put Ahimelech to death because this guy's done nothing wrong and they all knew it. He was just an angry, bitter man. And then Saul the king turns to Doeg and says, Doeg, kill him. And Doeg do goes and kills him. But he doesn't just kill Ahimelech. He then goes back to the town of Nob, which is where the priests were, and he kills 85 priests because of David. 
And then it doesn't just kill the priest. And he goes through that town and kills every man, woman, and child, and even the livestock. He totally massacres that entire town. He kills absolutely everyone and everything in that town. And there's one lone survivor. There's a young man who's the son of Ahimelech. And it says in chapter 22, verse number 22, And David said to Abathah, there's a young man named Abathah who's saved. He's the only lone survivor. And, it's, and David responds and says, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, he would surely tell Saul. He's literally saying there, I knew bad times were going to come. I knew they were going to get worse. And then he gives some words of a comfort in verse number 23. And he and says, stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safe keeping. What would possibly give David confidence to say to this young man, Abathah, don't worry, you're safe with me. David was still running for his life. What would give him any confidence to face the doeg of his life? Now, turning and making a little bit of application for just a moment, we all have doegs in our life. And I began that thought last week, which I'm continuing into this week, where we look at our circumstances and things often get worse before they get better. And maybe in your life right now, you're going, I hope, it's, I hope this is the worst and it's only going to get better. I can't promise that. So therefore, how do we prepare when we face the next doeg in your life? whether that's your health or your wealth or your, your finances or your relationship or, or various things go on today, and I hope not, but you know what? Today may be the worst day of your entire life. How are we going to respond when we face the next doeg, the next worst day of our life? And how are we going to encourage others when we're in that pit of despair? Let's look at, let's see what Psalm number 52 says. And Psalm 52 is what the instruction that David gave. I'm going to read this psalm and then we're going to go and break it down into some application for us this morning. It says, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? You see, he's talking directly to Doeg. The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. Notice there's a word called selah there. The word selah is used throughout the Psalms. And because these are written as songs, they're often written with a natural pause. And this pause is recorded in the scripture this way because it's a reminder to us to pause to reflect on what was just written what was just written he says why do you boast of evil O mighty man and it goes on it says in verse number four you love all words that devour O deceitful tongue but God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from the tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. And then that word again, Selah. 
the righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. And I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. There's three things we're going to look at this morning in regards to life lessons. The three life lessons are questioning, that is to know God laughing because God wins, and then finally is serving as in share God. And you notice the numbers are 5, 6, and 7 because we're building on the, the life lessons from the previous message, the previous four. So let's jump straight into the questioning. Number five, questioning is to know God. The universal question that every single person asks. And if you've had children, you've been asked this question many, many times. Why? Why? And as brilliant of an answer that you give, it will naturally be responded with by your child. Why? Your children are asking, what is truth? Have you ever asked that? Maybe not in those exact words, but you've been asking that question. What's actually reality? What is real? What is it worth, as it says there, boasting about? The question is, what does the world say when we're asking the question of what is truth? When they're asking the question of why, why am I here? Why are these things happening to me? Why, why, why? And oftentimes we notice that God gets blamed whenever things go wrong and he gets ignored whenever things are going well. So the world often says, why do you boast of evil? And it says, Almighty oh, man. That's specifically talking to Doeg, but I think we can make some application here. Because Doeg was a man who had responsibility. He was a man that was trusted by his master as the head herdsman. He was over other people. He physically probably was strong. He physically had wealth. He had knowledge. He knew how to do his job. And he was relying upon that, thinking the short term rather than the long term. He wasn't thinking big picture at all. And it goes on there. And he gives some pretty strong indictment. Verse number two says, your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor. Can you see that in the aspect of our world around us? You worker of deceit, you love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. So often, like verse number three, we just want to be told what we want to hear. We really don't want the truth. We want to hear everything is okay. It's like when you go to the dentist. The only thing you want to hear when you go to the dentist is, good job, you've obviously been flossing. You don't want to hear, hmm, as they go through and look at your teeth. You want to hear, well done. It says that you love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right because we really don't want to hear what is true. We just want to hear whatever it is that we want to hear. We want to hear we're doing well. We want to hear we're great. We want to hear that we're wonderful. We don't want to hear the reality that we're truly facing. And he goes, you love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. We naturally begin to question God. 
question God's goodness, question what is true. And we ask the question, why, without ever stopping to listen to the answer. From the very beginning of time, Genesis chapter number 3 records the, uh, the interaction between Adam and Eve and the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And the very beginning, it says in Genesis 3 verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, and here's the key question, Did God actually say? Because sometimes, often, we naturally begin to question what is truth because we don't really want to hear the answer. And we begin to make our own truth. That's what the world does. And we question it by sounding really smart and really intelligent. We say, did God actually say? Does God really want me to? You fill the blank in. Does he really want me to love others? Because they're really hard to love. Does he really want me to give? Does he really want me to serve? Does he really want me to go and talk to that person? Did God actually say from the very beginning, the first sin recorded in the Bible, the very first sin of mankind was as a result of did God actually say? This is the question that David had to answer before his family and before these 400 men. And before Abathar, this poor grieving young man, did God actually say he's going to care for us? Now we ask the question, what does the Bible say? We see what the world says. What does the Bible say? And David reminds us in Psalm 52, verse number one, the steadfast love of God endures all the day. Have you ever had to just remind yourself of that, even though you don't feel it? My circumstances are really dire. I don't naturally feel God's love, but I know what is true. Did God actually say he loves us? Absolutely he did. We need to be re daily reminded to not think short term based upon our circumstances. Admittedly, last night I did not sleep very well. I woke up this morning going, oh, it's already time to wake up. Now, I'm sure none of you did that because I'm sure you all got great sleep last night. And, and you wake up in the morning and go, oh, I really don't feel like, and you fill the blanket, or even, well done for being in church today, but I really didn't feel like going to church today. Like, surely I'm sick. Do I have COVID? <laughs> How many times have you had COVID to get out of something that you, should, that you really needed to do? Like, you've had COVID 18 times. And we need to be constantly reminded of move beyond the short term to look to the big picture. And that's exactly what David was doing. When he was anointed as a teenager to be the next king of Israel, he had no idea what the future was going to hold, what the future was going to look like. All he knew was that he had been anointed and told that he was going to be the next king. Later on, God gave him more information known as the Davidic covenant or Davidic covenant. It's a promise of God that is not based, it's not conditional. Some conditional covenants that we have. If you do this, then God will do this. But the Davidic covenant is not conditional. It's God showing his steadfast love that endures all the day. And in 2 Samuel chapter number 7, 
the prophet Nathan comes to David. At this particular period of time of writing that, David was an older man. And he was reflecting upon his life. And he had desired to do some things of God. And God was narrowing it down. And I'm going to read 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. And as I read them, I want you to realize what David was actually putting his trust in. So when he makes this statement in the short term, when everything is really hard, But this is what he was promising. This is the steadfast love he was relying on. And it says, Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture and from following sheep, that you should be prince over my people. And I have been with you wherever you went and cut off all your enemies before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And it goes on in verse 13. It says he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him. He shall be a son to me when he commits iniquity. I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And do you know how we see verse 16 lived out? It's through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the son of David, our king of kings and lord of lords. That's our first point. So we see the questioning is to know God. What is truth? And then we see the second is laughing. Now, David here is writing this in a time period where many of the Bible commentators that I was reading about the psalm, they were saying David was angry when he was writing this. And he may have been very angry, but he was still relaying truth. And he talks about laughing. Now, honestly, if we see someone hurt themselves, don't laugh at them. They're just mean. But there's an aspect of knowing that you're going to win and it makes you smile. Now, I can't talk about the West Coast Eagles, so I'm going to talk about the Australian cricket team. If you happen to be from England, my apologies to you, I'm sorry. But I stayed up very late the other night. There's a picture on the screen of of the Australian cricket team winning, and I made the mistake of starting to watch that game around 9 o'clock at night, and then I thought, oh, they're going to be losing no time at all. I'll just watch for an hour. It'll be over in no time. And then it kept going on and on and on and on. And Australia kept getting closer to winning. And honestly, I did fall asleep a few times because it's cricket. And then I woke up in the last probably hour and I couldn't fall asleep because there was a very good chance Australia was going to win against all odds. Then they won. Then I was all like it was 2.30 in the morning and like I couldn't wake up Tammy or talk to anyone about it. So I just went to bed. So often when you know you're going to win causes you to laugh and when you know that you're going to win it says i have something to look forward to i know today is really hard 
I know that the circumstances that you're going through right now are scary and uncertain, and tomorrow was a scary and uncertain day, but you know in the end that God's going to win, and it causes us to laugh. And David makes a comparison against the enemy and their their destruction and against their victory. And it says in verses 5 through 7, But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. In other words, he's going to destroy you. There's destruction coming. The righteous shall see and fear and laugh at him, saying, See the man that, who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. God is completely balanced. As much as we love, and we often talk about God's love and his mercy and his grace, and we talk about the attributes of God, and we often focus upon the positive attributes. In this passage, we see he's relying upon the love of God and the mercy and the grace of God. And God's mercy and grace is one of those attributes that we see in the book of Exodus, chapter number 34, where Moses records this. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, This is God talking. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, or in other words, patient, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So we see these attributes of God where we see mercy and grace and patience and love and faithfulness. And it goes, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin keeping steadfast love for thousands there's plenty of room that love is not a limited love that faithfulness is not a limited faithfulness his mercy and grace is not limited like i'm sorry there's too many in here he says it's limitless there's room for you also but it goes on and god is balanced the attributes of god with his love and his mercy and his grace is balanced also with the attributes as it continues on but he will by no means clear the guilty. God is a balanced God because as much as we love God's mercy and grace, we also rely upon God's justice. And that's what David is claiming here. He's calling out and asking, God, you're going to win in the end. It's causing me to laugh, but God, will you do justice here? In the Hebrews chapter number 9, verses 27 and 28, it gives us uh, some teaching about and the anticipation of death and judgment and eternity. Let me read those verses for you. And just as it, as it was appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. We have something to look forward to. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. We have something where we now can see the world with some clarity. As much as I love the mercy and the grace of God, we also recognize that God is a balanced God, and there is a consequence to our sin. And those who reject God and his love and his mercy and his salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ we see that there is a judgment. 
And that judgment shouldn't make us go, ha, ha. Like David, I think, was using a bit of, of tongue-in-cheek in the sense of, God, you're going to win in the end. We're not laughing at the, the, the dying world. We're saying that's going to be a motivation for us to share the good news of the gospel. This week we heard the news of the Titanic sub known as the Titan sub. And these five men that are on the screen who lost their lives tragically in that accident. And Monday morning when you woke up, you may have read the news of the sub that went down to the depths and was lost after about an hour and 45 minutes. And later on, we found out at the end of the time that they would have died almost instantly in some catastrophic incident. But there was hope in the beginning that these men may make it. And we heard news that they had 96 hours worth of air on that, in that little submarine. And there was a chance that they could be alive down there. So they began the rescue efforts. And unfortunately, the rescue efforts turned out to be futile. But during that time, watching the news and hearing the empathy of people and just reflecting upon that time when we didn't know what had happened to them. They could be alive down there. Many of the people on the news who do not know Christ as their Savior were talking about the fact of, oh, imagine what they're going through down there. Imagine the fear. Imagine the, imagine the uncertainty. Just waiting for someone to rescue you. And I began to reflect upon that. Maybe you did too. Of knowing that you're going to die. Knowing that you have hours to live. How do you respond to that? Now, we know that these men had a different ending, but if they did have that 96 hours waiting for the air to run out, what kind of conversations do you think the dad and the son had? Do you think they were talking about sport? Do you think they were talking about how the West Coast Eagles do so well? And I guarantee they weren't talking about cricket. They would have talked about important things, things that are really important in life. You talk about the love and the mercy, but also the possible judgment of God. And just as important as the mercy and grace of God, God is a good judge. And he by no means clear the guilty, but he also in the same thought says, I'm sending a savior to you and his name is Jesus. And that gives us a new way of looking at life because the last part of that psalm turns and changes gear. So we go from questioning, you know, God, what is truth, to laughing and saying, God, you're going to win in the end. And we don't just say, God, you're going to win in the end, and I'm going to do nothing about it. God, you're going to win in the end, and now that's going to change the way that I look at myself, the way that I look at my circumstances, the way that I look at my workmates, my schoolmates, the way that I look at my family, the way that I look at strangers around the world. That's why we're involved as a local church in Faith Promise Missions. That's why we support the Keefs who are starting a, a church. In fact, they've, they've just started their, their service right now. They're, they're starting their service at 10 a.m. And so they're three minutes into their service right now in Alchemos. That's why we support the Paneros as they serve and they, they seek to reach people in the South Pacific, specifically in Vanuatu, because we know of what God's done in our life. And we say they need that, too. And it goes on with the serving, that is to share God. And he uses the analogy in verse number eight. He says, but I am like a green olive tree. When I was in Israel, olive trees are 
everywhere. Israel has some really beautiful areas in the north, but in the southern areas where Jerusalem is and the surrounding areas, it's actually not that pretty, <laughs> unless you like the, the color tan. And everything is tan, but all across the hills are olive trees and they're flourishing and growing. And some of those trees in certain areas are literally hundreds and hundreds of years old. And they've been producing in soil that looks so dry and barren. Now, if you over the summer don't water and fertilize your grass, your grass will go brown and barren. But I can guarantee a lawn that is neglected will have green weeds. Now, I'm not going to call you a weed today, but here's a positive. Weeds are just built differently, aren't they? There's something about the weed. Now, they should take whatever genetic things inside the weed and put it in my grass. I never have to mow my grass, never have to do anything to it. But weeds are just built differently. Now, I'm not calling you a weed, but I'm challenging you with this. Let's be built differently so that when we go through the hard times, when we go through the times of uncertainty, when we're literally running for our lives, we can become, as David says, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I will trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. And he goes on and says, I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. He's literally saying there, I'm going to trust the nature and the character of God. So therefore, I'm going to be built differently. My challenge to you is to be built differently in Christ. Allow God to work in and through your negative circumstances so that you can be like the green olive tree or the green weed in a, in a, in a brown grass. God is good. It's good to be in the house of God. It's good to be with, with God. And he's literally saying there, I'm strong. He says, I'm like a green olive tree. I'm a strong established. I'm strong. He says, I will trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I, the result of that is, he says, I will thank you forever because you have done it. And he finally says, I will wait for your name. And that word wait used in this context in the Bible is not wait like I'm sitting around doing nothing and I will do nothing until you come. That's not what it says there. The word wait there is the sense of anticipation and expectation. I'm waiting because it could be at any moment that God could do something. There's a sense of anticipation. God, you are good. You're working. I'm strong. I'm trusting. I'm thanking. And I'm anticipating that you're going to be working in and through this horrible circumstance. As you go out this week, how is that going to make your life different? Because you may be facing the doeg in your life right now. Or the next doeg may show up tomorrow. My challenge to you, as we go through those seven points really briefly. We look at those seven points. Here's our reminder, our life lessons. We're called to look to God. 
We're called to follow God. We're called to have peace with God. We're called to trust God and know God. We know that God wins. And finally, we have the pleasure of sharing God because of what He's done in our hearts and our lives. And as you go out this week, how's your life going to be different as a result? Why don't you stand with me as we pray? As I pray, we encourage you to reflect upon that question, how God is good and what difference does it make?